getting ready to say is going to date me, but some of you are my age, so maybe not so much. But um, how many of you remember Flip Wilson, the comedian? Oh, well, see, there's a few of us with gray hair. Some of you color yours, but I don't. But anyway, Flip Wilson, for those of you younger generation, he was a popular comedian in the 70s, and he once said this, if money talks, all it ever says to me is goodbye. <laughs> That's true, isn't it? Especially today, it's saying goodbye to a lot of us. However, money was not saying goodbye to the readers that James addresses in chapter 5. They were rich, and they were using their riches for sinful purposes, and they were also persecuting the poor in the process. Now, we need to understand a fact that will help us to unlock chapter 5, and the fact is this. In Bible times, there wasn't a middle class like there is today. You know, today we have a lot of middle class and we have some rich and we have some poor. But in Bible times, the gulf between the rich and the poor was great. And so a middle class was not something that was a common thing during biblical times. And so because of that, there was a lot of tension between the rich and the poor. Um, However... Nothing new under the sun, right? Today, there is still that same tension. Even though we have a middle class and we have a lot of middle class, we still have tension between the rich and the poor. Now, if you are a careful reader of the word of God, you know that riches are a gift from God. Um, If he's endowed you with riches, it is a gift. And he's entrusted those to you to use for his glory. And the God that entrusts certain people with riches also holds them accountable for what they do with that money. Now, these warnings this evening are for the rich, and I trust that they will be a warning for us. Because, ladies, I hate to tell you this, but having been to India and Honduras, every one of you in this room is rich. The poorest of you in this room is rich. And so we need to take heed to what James is going to say. If you would, let's read. We're just going to cover the first six verses this evening of James chapter 5. James says, Come now, you rich men, weep and howl for your miseries that will come upon you. Your riches are corrupted, your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are rusted, and the rest of them will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh as it were fire. You have heaped treasure together for the last days. Behold, the hire of the laborers who have reaped down your fields, which is of you kept back by fraud, cries. And the cries of them who have reaped are entered into the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. You've lived in pleasure on the earth and have been wanton. You have nourished your hearts as in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and killed the just, and he does not resist you. Now, we're going to see two major themes this evening. The first one is this. We're going to see a warning to the rich. There is a warning here for the rich in verse 1. And then secondly, we're going to see a reason for the warning, actually four reasons for the warning in verses 2 to 6. So a warning to the rich and then a reason for the warning in verses 2 to 6. Let's look briefly at the warning in verse 1. Notice how James starts chapter 5. He says, come now or listen, listen up. And did you notice, if you did your homework, did you notice that in verse 1, James did not call them brethren? Did anyone catch that? And do you know 13 times in this epistle, he calls them brethren, and then he comes to chapter 5, and he doesn't call them brethren anymore. He calls them rich men. 
So you might ask the question, who are these rich men? Well, evidently, they were non-Christian Jewish owners of large estates in the communities where these readers lived. These rich had no time for God. They rejected him, and there seemed to be little hope for their salvation. Now, you might be saying, now, wait a minute, Susan. I mean, I still remember back in September, and you told us that the epistle of James was written to a group of believers that James was admonishing to see if they were in the faith. He was beginning to wonder about some of them. And so he was writing them this letter to say, hey, you need to examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. Now you're telling us that, you know, these are non-Christian rich people. Did James suddenly forget who he was writing to? No, he did not. Listen very carefully. Warnings many times in the Bible were directed to Israel's oppressors. It was very common. In fact, just think with me in the Old Testament. For example, this warning right here, the warning to Babylon, wail for the day of the Lord is at hand. It will come as destruction from the almighty, Isaiah 13, 6. There were also warnings to Moab, to Damascus, and to many other nations in the Old Testament. In fact, I would encourage you sometime, read the Old Testament, read the minor prophets and the major prophets, how many warnings God gives to not his covenant people, but to their oppressors. Now, were these readers reading this epistle? Not necessarily. But ladies, it was an encouragement to those who were being persecuted that their persecutors were not going to get off the hook. It's very unlikely that these readers ever heard or read what James is reading, but it's encouraging to the poor knowing that God will deal justly with those who are persecuting them. As we've mentioned earlier, the epistle of James is steeped in Old Testament terminology, and so James is informing his readers, you know what? There's going to come a day when the, when the judgment will come and the rich will be judged for their ungodly behavior. He also was probably aware that his words would reach some of the rich. You know, hey, some of the persecutors, some of the poor, you know, they might say, hey, you know, you're not going to get by with this. On judgment day is coming. And the scriptures are full of that. And so therefore, James commands him, if you will notice, he says, weep and howl for your miseries. Now, the term here refers to the howling of wolves, and it means that the rich were to howl like wolves with tears accompanied by loud lamentation. That's a very strong meaning, isn't it? In fact, it's the emotional outburst of those who have disregarded God's claims and will be overwhelmed with the realization of their loss when they appear in judgment. You know why? Because they'll realize that all that money they had did not buy them a passport to heaven. Didn't save them out of hell. And ladies, notice that James doesn't even call them to repentance. Did you notice that? Nor did he tell them to lament and mourn and weep for their sins, as we saw in chapter 4. But he tells them to weep and howl for their miseries that will be coming upon them. In fact, the word how is a term used 21 times in the Old Testament, 21 times. And it's used to describe the violent grief of those who will stand face to face with God in judgment. In fact, it's interesting 
the use of the present tense come here, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. It has the idea in the Greek, you know, have you ever been to the ocean and you see those waves come one after the other after the other? And I mean, there's nothing you can do to stop the waves in the ocean. They're going to come. And that's what this Greek tense here is. Weep and howl for your miseries that are going to come on you one after another, after another, after another. Just like tidal waves, nothing would stop them. And these miseries were already approaching and on the verge of striking. You might say, well, what miseries is he talking about? Well, one probable misery is this. Again, you have to think back to our first lesson. Remember, in our first lesson, we said that James wrote the epistle approximately A.D. 50. Jerusalem fell in A.D. 70. And it's interesting that 60 years after she fell, she had no history because the destruction was so devastating. Now, could these rich have possibly imagined that? That Jerusalem was going to fall, be destroyed? Hardly. And yet, ladies, think of all the warnings that Scripture gives us now. You know, I was thinking about this in light of my sister and just being there and knowing that she knows uh, the things I grew up with. We grew up in the same home with the same dad who loved the same word, who we heard the same prophetic teaching. She knows the warnings in Scriptures. Many know the warnings in Scriptures and the prophecies. And, you know, many of the prophecies have already been fulfilled. And yet, do those warnings change? How some people live? No, they don't. But you know, the greatest misery for the unsaved rich is not just the destruction of Jerusalem. Do you know what the greatest misery for all the rich without Christ is? Eternity in hell. Eternity in hell. In fact, I want you to turn over to Luke 16. Jesus gives us a very sobering reminder of the dangers of the rich without God. Luke 16 Look at verse 19. It says, There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, and he was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was the beggar died and was carried to the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torment in hell, he lifted up his eyes and he saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus that he might dip the tongue of his finger in water and cool my tongue. For I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember in your lifetime you received good things. And likewise, Lazarus, evil things. But now he is comforted and you are tormented. And besides all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. And then he said, I beg you, therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers that so he can testify to them. Least they also come to his this place of torment. Abraham said to him, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to them, If they don't hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. It's a very good depiction, isn't it, of a rich man in hell. And ladies, that rich man is still burning in hell today. 
while Lazarus, the beggar, was carried by the angels to the bosom of Abraham. You know, when we think of the miseries of hell, we should ask ourselves this question. Is it really worthwhile to make money our God down here and to be separated from God for all eternity? In fact, it's interesting, most of you, you don't know Flip Wilson, but most of you younger generation, you know Harrison Ford, right? Actor, famous actor. He's made millions with all of the movies he made. And he once said this, you only want what you don't have. The person interviewing Harrison Ford looked at him and he said, well, what don't you have, sir? And he said, peace, and I hope to find it when I die. Ladies, that is a sad commentary on the rich without Christ. Many people, just like Harrison Ford, will enter eternity looking for peace only to find torment if they do not repent and trust Christ. So what is the warning to the rich? Weep and howl for the miseries that will come upon you. And then in verse 2, James continues with some very descriptive words regarding the futility of the rich. And now we see the reason for the warning, and actually we're going to see four. Notice what he says in verse 2. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Now, in biblical times, wealth was commonly held. If you had money, you had grain, you had clothing, you had precious metals, you had flocks, you had herds. Today we might say your stocks and bonds are corrupted, and we say amen to that, right? They're failing really fast. However, it's been a pretty good week in the stock market. But we might say today your stocks and your bonds are useless, and we all say amen to that, right? Amen. <laughs> amen. There, There's a live person out there. James says your riches are corrupted. The word corrupted here means rotted. Rotted. In fact, it's probably referring to the grain, their hoarded grain that was stored in great barns. Remember, we looked at that a few weeks ago, the man that said, you know, I've got so much stuff. I'm going to build all these barns, and I'm just going to keep building more barns so I can hoard all my stuff. And remember, Jesus turned to him, and he said, you fool. Don't you know your soul will be required of you tonight? Great depiture of what James is saying here. Also, he said, not only that, he says, your garments are moth-eaten. They're worthless. In fact, the rich, they said, had so many clothes that they had to build storages for all of their clothes. And James says they're moth-eaten. Now, we all know about that, right? I mean, I've been blessed. I've never had a moth eat my clothes, but I have seen, I've had friends that they say, look what this moth did, you know. They're not like, you know, flies that are pesty or crickets that just make noise. They can come in and literally eat your clothes, even though they're kind of cute, aren't they? They kind of furry little things they're they're kind of cute that's exactly what the rich are facing destruction silent unnoticed seemingly benign just like that moth but just like that garment that is moth-eaten it's almost impossible to repair have you ever, any of you ever, ever had a garment that was moth-eaten it's almost impossible to repair the same case it is with the rich once they begin to suffer the consequences of their money, the cure is difficult. Just like that hole in the garment is hard to repair, the hole in their life is hard to repair. 
In fact, ladies, Jesus gives us a similar warning in the Sermon on the Mount that we're studying here on Sunday morning. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust does corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust does corrupt nor where thieves cannot break through and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also, Jesus says. In fact, do you remember in James 1.10, we learned that the godly response of a rich man is to what? Those of us that know Christ. Godly response of a rich man is to what? Be humble in his circumstances. That's what James said in James 1.10, not to accumulate wealth for personal gain. Well, James goes on to describe what will happen to the personal assets of the rich in verse 3. He says, your gold and silver are corroded and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire you might say well now wait a minute gold and silver don't corrode so what is he talking about here well james is using a metaphor you know what he's saying what you think is so important right now gold and silver is going to be worthless it's going to be rusted out iron in the day of judgment doesn't have any value in fact he says the corrosion will be a witness against you in fact When they stand before God on judgment day, their corrupted wealth will stand as a witness to the misuse of what God had provided for them. No excuse will diminish the evidence of their hoarded wealth that they used for selfish purposes. Ladies, you are not going to impress God when you stand before him with your money. Say, look at all my possessions. He is not impressed with that i don't care how many cars houses boats clothes jewelry saving bonds anything you have that you have hoarded it will be a witness against you that's what james is saying if jesus asks you on judgment day did you give to the poor the answer no will be a witness against you if jesus asks you what did you do with the money i gave you all that money i gave you what did you do with it and if you say well i you know heaped up treasures for myself James says that's a witness against you. And not only will it be a witness against us, but notice what James says, it will eat your flesh like fire. Now, ladies, I don't know about you, but those words cause me to shudder. It will eat your flesh like fire. We should shudder for the souls of the rich that do not know Christ. You know, James 3 said one of the descriptions of our tongue is it's set on fire, right? And now he's saying those that are rich without Christ that hoard money, it will eat their flesh like fire. The fires of judgment will be fueled by their corrupted wealth. In fact, it's interesting. I think it's interesting. James uses the words your flesh. You know why? To remind the rich that's what they cared about, right? Their flesh, their bodies, their stuff. What you think is so important. All that money that you have on that day, it will eat your flesh like a flesh festering sore. Well, James clearly taught, excuse me, its, its effect will be like fire torturing while it devours. Now, you might say, well, does this mean that, you know, everyone's going to suffer the same amount in hell or, you know, what does this mean? No. James has already said in James 3 that mercy will be withheld from those who show no mercy Ladies, God will deal with every one of us in this room individually. You're not going to go to heaven holding your husband's hand or your mother's hand or your boyfriend's hand. God is going to to judge us all individually. 
and he will judge all the wicked in hell individually. I believe that there are degrees of punishment in hell, just like there are rewards in heaven. Some of us will have more rewards than others. Some of us will have less rewards than others. The same it is in hell. I know some of you are giving me funny looks, so let me give you some verses. We don't have time to look up these. Mark 12, 40, Luke 12, 42 through 48, Matthew 11, 24, 1 Corinthians 3, 8. All talk about degrees of punishment in hell or rewards in heaven. And that's what he's saying here. You have heaped treasure together for the last day, and it's going to be held against you. Ladies, there is no lumping of us all together. Christ saves us individually, works in our lives individually. He rewards us individually, and he punishes us individually. Let me give those verses again. I know you're looking at that. Mark 12, 40, Luke 12, 42 to 48, Matthew 11, 24, 1 Corinthians 3, 8. Maybe, Deb, if we have time during the... Homework, we can look at those. I just don't want to take the time to do that. James says, you've heaped up treasure in the last days. You know what he's saying? You just keep heaping it up and heaping it up. Of course, the last days we know started with Christ, began with Christ's first coming, and it will end with the return of the Lord Jesus. It's as if, though, James is reminding them of the reality of eternity. You've thought of your last days. You know, my retirement, I'm saving all this stuff for the last days. But what about the last days when your life is over? Have you given much thought to that? Ladies, sometimes I wonder how differently we would spend our money if we would think about that. You know, we think about our last days and our retirement. But what about the last day when we stand before God? Well, what is the one of the reasons for the warning Well, not only had the rich misused their money by heaping and hoarding it, but secondly, if you'll notice in verse 4, the next reason for their warning is because they oppressed the poor by withholding their wages. Notice what he says in verse 4. Indeed, the wages of the laborers who have mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out, and the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. You know what the rich were doing? They were withholding wages from those that would go out and work in their fields. In fact, the word laborers here are just talking about agricultural employees that would go out and and work the fields. And James says, you're withholding the money that is due them. Remember in biblical times, we've brought this out before. Back in Bible times, you know, you weren't paid on the 15th and the 30th of the month. You went out every day and you did your work and you came back in and you got your wage. But these rich here were having their their laborers go out, work the fields, work all day in the hot sun and come back. Sorry. No money. No pay. Depriving them of what was due them. Now, ladies, can you imagine how you'd feel if your husband didn't get his paycheck? How would you feel if your husband didn't get his paycheck that he deserved? Or for those of you that work outside the home, single moms, single women, you're supporting yourself. How would you feel when it came time for your paycheck on the 15th and the 30th and the boss said, sorry, I know you've worked hard for the last few weeks, but sorry, I'm not giving you any money. That would be a cruel and a mean boss, wouldn't it? And you would probably do what James says these victims are doing. Notice what he says. They cry. They cry. And ladies, this is not a whimper. In the Greek, this means a loud cry 
or a scream. They're appealing for justice to be done. I found it interesting the laborers here are crying because their wages have been withheld, yet the rich are howling because of the misery that's going to come upon them. How ironic. Another ironic thing, God doesn't hear the weeping of the rich, but he hears the cries of the poor. That's what James says. You cry out, but your cries have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth, he says in verse 4, which just means the Lord of hosts. In fact, this is one of the most majestic titles given to our Lord. I like what David says in Psalm 34, 6. This poor man cried out, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. Ladies, that is a comfort to these readers, knowing that even though their boss who was rich and mean and hoarding up money for himself and wouldn't pay them the money that they deserved, as they cry out for justice, the Lord of Sabaoth hears them. David says in another place, he will regard the prayer of the destitute. He will not despise their prayer. Ladies, in verse 5, we see that a third example, a third warning of their money for the warning was because of their indulgent living. Look at verse 5. He says, you've lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury. You fattened your hearts as in a day of slaughter. Man, you guys have lived in high style. You've had a life of luxury. You've had a life of self-indulgence. You know, it's like the rich man that Jesus said was clothed in purple, fine linen, fared sumptuously every day that we just read about. And it's interesting, he says, you've done this on the earth, seeming to indicate what? That's where they got their pleasure, right? Here on earth. And yet Paul says in Colossians 2, we're not to set our mind on things, what? This on this earth, but on things above. James goes on to say, you have been wanton, which means you were sportive or joyous. In fact, the Greek word translated, translated been wanton actually means to live in luxury or to be voluptuous. That was their central concern. I just want to live, you know, high in the hog. I just want to indulge my flesh. James says, you fatten your hearts as in a day of slaughter. Ladies, that is quite a picture. Just like ignorant cattle that are encouraged to eat well, you know, just before they go to the slaughter and get their little heads chopped off. That's the picture here. They're, I mean, those cattle, they have no idea. You know, they're blissfully ignorant that they're getting ready to be slaughtered, right? And they just, you know, the farmers, they fatten them up and they say, come on, you little cows, and then they kill them. That's the picture here of the rich. They're eating, you know, eat, drink, and be merry, you know, eating, drinking, very unaware that they have gorged themselves in unconscious security. Ladies, we see this happening in our day. In fact, I'm shocked right now just watching and talking to people in America. They're still indulging themselves in pleasure, giving no thought to account that one day they're going to have to stand before God and give an account to him. By such a course, they are unwittingly preparing for their own destruction, just like cattle being led to the slaughter. Both are ignorant of what is getting ready to happen to them. The rich were preparing themselves for the day of judgment like animals gorging themselves for the day of slaughter. 
And so we come to a fourth and final example of how they misused their money and their power, and that was by persecuting the just. Notice what he says in verse 6. You have condemned and killed the just, and he does not resist you. Ladies, the condemning here refers to the fact that these rich Jews controlled the Jewish courts. Remember we discovered in verse 2 that they were actually dragging them into court. They were hauling them into court. They were grabbing them around the neck and hauling them into court, trying to get something out of them that they didn't even have. And not only were they doing that, James says they murder you. They're killing you. Before the rich would kill the poor, they would have them legally condemned. What a horrible indictment on the rich. The rich controlled the courts during this time that James is writing. And how do the laborers respond? Notice what James says. They don't resist you. They don't resist you. Ladies, that's amazing. Here the laborer goes out, works hard all day in the sun, comes back, says, hey, I want my, you know, I want my income. No, you're not getting it. And not only that, but I'm going to grab you around the neck and drag you into court. And I'm going to kill some of you. And it says they don't resist. They don't fight back. They don't even hold a grudge. Now, we wouldn't do that today, would we? We'd take them to law. We'd sue them. Yet, lady, the Christian's example is Jesus Christ. He was hated. He didn't hate back. He was crucified. But he prayed that his crucifiers might be forgiven. In fact, the Apostle Peter tells us when he was when he was reviled, he did not revile back. When he was threatened, he didn't threaten back. Nothing. But he committed himself to the one who judges righteously. That's what Christ did when he was persecuted. And that's what these readers are doing. They don't resist you. In fact, Jesus taught on this same issue in the Sermon on the Mount. You have heard that it was said, an eye and an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, resist not an evil person. Whoever slaps you on the right cheek, give him the other one. If anybody wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak. Whoever compels you to go a mile, go with him too. Give to him that asks you, and from him that will borrow from you, do not turn him away. That's hard, isn't it? In fact, next week we're going to see just how hard it really was because James is going to tell him to be patient. Be patient, therefore, brethren, to the coming of the Lord. Be patient. It's okay if you're getting persecuted here. So let's review what we've studied, and then I want to ask you some questions in closing. What is the warning to the rich? They should howl because of the agony of a coming eternal hell if they don't repent and trust Christ. What are the four reasons for the warning? First of all, they're heaping and hoarding money. Secondly, they are withholding wages. The third reason for the warning is their indulgent living. And then lastly, because they are persecuting the just. Those are the four reasons for the warning. And I say, well, Susan, you know, that's it was fine and interesting lesson, but come on, I can't apply that to my life. I'm not guilty of those things. I don't hoard money. I don't kill people. I don't deprive people of their wages. I don't indulge myself. I mean, this lesson isn't really for me. Well, there are some lessons that we can learn from these six verses. And in closing, I want to ask you some questions that I want you to consider very carefully. Number one, do you hoard money? Do you hoard money? Number two, 
Are you guilty of over-accumulating wealth? Are you guilty of over-accumulating wealth? Number three, have you ever or are you now defrauding anyone? Have you ever or are you now defrauding anyone? Next question is timely because it's tax season. Is there any financial deception in your life? Is there any financial deception in your life? Number five, are you self-indulgent in any area of your life? Are you self-indulgent in any area of your life? Number six, how do you respond when you're treated unjustly? How do you respond when you are treated unjustly? These readers here, they cried to the Lord of Sabaoth and they did not resist those who were persecuting them. Number seven, do you view a lost rich man as in need of a savior? You know, Maggie was just saying we just went to a mansion. My sister's extremely wealthy, but I don't ever see my sister where I don't realize she's going to hell. She doesn't know Christ. Do you view lost rich people as in need of a savior? Number eight, when spending money, do you ask yourself, will this advance the kingdom of God? When spending money, do you ask yourself, will this advance the kingdom of God? Number nine, when you spend money, do you consider if it's just a need or a want? Which is it? When you spend money, is it a need or a want? Number 10, do you buy what you can't use or don't need? Dixie said she was going to clean out her house after this lesson. (laughs) Do you buy what you can't use or don't need? That's why once a year, you guys might think I'm crazy, but once a year I do spring clean. I get rid of everything that I haven't used in the last year because I just don't like stuff. Do you buy what you can't use or don't need? Number 11, do you spend more than you make? Shame on you if you do. Do you spend more than you make? You might say, well, I don't make anything, so how can I spend it? And then lastly, do you give sacrificially to the Lord with an enthusiastic heart to advance the kingdom? Do you give sacrificially to the Lord with an enthusiastic heart to advance the kingdom? Ladies' money is very deceptive because it brings a false sense of security. Someone once said, money can buy a bed, but it can never buy rest. It can buy food, but it will never never satisfy your soul. It can buy luxury, but it will never buy you contentment. It can buy you a house, but it will never buy you a home. It can buy you a church, but it will never buy you a savior. My admonition to you this evening as we close is from 1 Timothy 6-7. You brought nothing into this world, and it is certain you will carry nothing out. Loving money leads to all kinds of evil. And in their struggle to be rich, men and women alike have lost their faith and caused themselves untold agonies. But you, O woman of God, Keep clear of these things. Set your heart on integrity, true piety, faithfulness, love, endurance, 
and gentleness. Let's pray. God in heaven, I come to you this evening and thanking you for, uh, again, these words that we have in James. Lord, they are very timely because of what our nation is going through with a financial crisis. And yet, Lord, even with that and even with job losses and even with cuts in our paychecks and our stocks and our bonds shrinking and our 401ks shrinking and our retirements shrinking, we are still the richest of all people. We have so much. And, Lord, I believe that this time has revealed the intents of many of our hearts as we have struggled with trying to cut back and save and and uh, Lord, it t- shows us really where our heart is. And I pray, Lord, that we would be careful and we would be guarded against the love of money. Lord, I pray that we would also guard ourselves against heaping up treasures and indulgent living, Lord, and that we might, um, even in our poverty, even as the church at Corinth gave richly and deeply out of their poverty, even in this time when we are all struggling, that we would look for those around us who are far more in need than we are and that we would give sacrificially. Lord, we know that where our treasure is, there is our heart also. And so, Father, I just pray that we would take to heart the things that we have studied this evening and, Lord, that we would remember to pray for those who are rich, Lord, that uh, are without Christ, who need a Savior. We know your word says it is hard for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven, and yet we know nothing is impossible for you. And so we commit those to you and our family, our friends that are rich without Christ, Lord, that um, we might be able in the days to come to have opportunities to share Christ with them. I thank you for the time to follow, and I pray that it would be a time that is, again, used for your glory and your honor. In Christ's name, amen.